Welcome once again to Calvary Baptist Church. I'm Ron Hudson, the lead pastor, and this is week four of our series, Under Pressure. We're talking about how do we honor Christ through conflict? How can we go through conflict in a way that actually honors Christ? It seems uh, to some of you that seems impossible, but it's not. And Paul gives us great instructions on how to honor Christ in the midst of conflict in Philippians chapter four. And last week, we talked about how everybody feels anxious sometimes. Everybody feels anxious sometimes, and anxiety is, is not necessarily a sign that something is wrong. Everybody feels anxious sometimes. In fact, in love, you're going to feel anxiety. In creativity, you're going to feel anxiety, because anxiety just signals that we are uncertain about something, or that we, we realize we are out of control, that we do not have control, ultimate control over the situation, and that's anxiety. I, don't, I can't control this, and I'm uncertain how it's going to turn out. And we have that in love. When you're in a love relationship with someone, you don't have control, and you don't know how it's going to turn out, so there's going to be anxiety. And so we, we realize that anxiety oftentimes signals opportunity. And the opportunity is signaled by anxiety a lot of the time. And so Paul told us, uh, be anxious for nothing. Or don't be anxious about anything. And it's not that we can't feel anxiety, it's that we can't let anxiety stop us from obedience to Christ, stop us from pursuing the opportunities that God puts into our lives. Because if we do, then we're going to shut ourselves down from great relationships and great opportunities. And you can hear more about that in last week's message at our website, cbcfamily.church. Just click on messages and you can hear the whole thing. But this week, we're going to continue on. And Paul is giving us a list of things in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8. He says, finally, and so he's wrapping up not only this chapter, but also the entire letter. He's bringing it all back together, and he says, finally, this is what I want for you guys. And remember, this is in the context of this argument that two women in the church at Philippi in the city had, Eudeus and Sukihi. They were having an argument. Paul wrote to the church and said, I need you to help these two women work it out. Help them figure out how to agree with each other. Help them figure out how to get along with each other. And then he gives us a list of things to do. And this is at the end of the list. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So Paul's giving us a list of things to think about, which means There's a much bigger list of things not to think about that excludes off this list. Things that should not be in our brains and that we should not let stay in our minds. Everything not on the list, on the list, Paul has purposely excluded. So why does Paul want the Philippian Christians to think about these things? And why should you care? Why should you care what Paul says and what you should think about on an October Sunday morning? Why should I care to what Paul says? Well, we're going to get into that. I want to show you a verse from Proverbs chapter 23. In Proverbs chapter 23, this is um, Solomon writing to his son, and he's giving him some advice. And there's all kinds of these little short, just wisdom nuggets, okay? These little advice things that you think about, and when you ponder them, they really make sense. So this is what he says. He says, eat now, eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. Okay, that's a uh, an old KJV way of saying, um, don't eat someone's food or don't receive gifts from somebody that is stingy, okay? It goes on. 
neither desire thou his dainty meats. Okay? Dainty meats. That is Pennsylvanian for deer jerky. Okay? Uh, that is, right? Um, verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The stingy guy that is offering you stuff is colored by stinginess. As he thinks, as this guy thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he unto thee. He's telling you one thing, but his heart is not with thee. What does that mean? He's saying one thing, but because of the soundtrack of his mind, because of the soundtrack of his mind, he's going to interpret your words and your behavior through his filter and not yours. He's going to see what he thinks you mean, not what you mean. And I call this the soundtrack of your mind. Okay, what is the soundtrack of your mind? There is a soundtrack playing in your mind. Now, maybe you don't think of yourself as a musical person. How many of you think of yourself as a musical person? You like music, okay? How many of you listen to music often? Okay, we got some music listeners. How many of you think of yourself, you're like, I'm not really a musical person? Fine, anybody? Yeah, yeah, a couple people, okay, that's fine. I'm not really a musical person, but check this out. Everybody is a musical person to an extent. It may not mean that you like to listen to music all the time, but music affects everybody. So I want you to listen to this and tell me what you feel. Oh, it plays. Go. that make you feel weird right suspense eerie like something is going to happen like what's going on if you saw a picture of somebody petting a cat and that played behind it what would you think any moment now they're going to snap its neck oh my gosh it's a psychopath you know what kind of a person pets a cat like that but they're just petting a cat regularly it's the music that makes you Think about it that way. The music is a filter for how you see what's going on. So on a, on a TV show, you see someone driving or walking down the street, and they play that. You're like, oh my gosh, they're going to get kidnapped. Somebody's going to jump out. They're going to get hit by a car. Like, they're going to do one of those jump scenes where the car just hits them randomly. It's like, oh, and your heart rate's up, and you're on edge. Um, but listen to this one. Here's a, here's a different illustration. The different soundtrack colors the same thing. If you saw the same picture or video of a guy painting a cat and smiling, and that was playing, you'd be like, oh, wow, this guy loves his cat. They have this great relationship. It could be like the end of a movie where everything turns out great. And maybe it didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to, but everybody's going to be okay. And we can feel good about that. And 
people who make movies understand this. The soundtrack sets the tone. In fact, the soundtrack describes the action on the screen sometimes better than the action on the screen. It really does. And when I make, when I make videos and stuff and play with uh, photography and things like that, the audio of a video project is just as important, if not more important, than any of the pictures or video on the screen. Because if you have bad audio, you have a bad video. If you have great audio and mediocre pictures, then you might have a, a mediocre video. But if you have bad audio, it doesn't matter how great the pictures are, it's a bad video. Music paints the action on the screen. The thoughts you are going, that are going on in your brain are the soundtrack of your life, the same way that music is a soundtrack for a movie. The thoughts that you have in your mind on repeat are the soundtrack of your life. The reoccurring thought patterns in your mind are the soundtrack of your life. And your body will respond with the appropriate chemicals based on the thoughts in your mind. Your body will respond with the appropriate chemicals and hormones and uh, intensity. All of those things will be responded to based on the soundtrack of your mind. We've had students come to our church here who um, were from a, a broken home or an abusive home. And they come to this place where we have a safe, fun youth activity. And we're like, come on, let's play. Let's have some fun. Let's hang out. And they just want to sit and be quiet and watch. Why? Is it because the environment's not safe? No. It's because in their mind, they have on repeat, something bad is going to happen, and I need to be ready for that bad thing to happen at any moment to respond. And so they're on edge. They're on edge. And they won't want to play the games. They'll just want to sit and watch because their brain has convinced them there is no safe places. And they're waiting and preparing for the next bad thing to happen. The bottom line of today's message, and what I want you to take away with you if you want to write this down, is this. What you think of others will make or break you. When it comes to relationships, when it comes to conflict and interpersonal conflict, whether it's romantic conflict or conflict at work or family, what you think of others will ultimately make or break you. What you think of others will ultimately make or break you. And psychologists call these thought distortions. Thought distortions. Here's some thought distortions. I'll, I'll share with you four of them. The first one is black and white thinking. And we need to recognize these distortions because our minds have a clever and persistent way of convincing us that something that isn't true is true. Our brains have a way of fooling us into thinking something, especially when we have a thought going over and over in our mind. And we color people through these. And these inaccurate thoughts reinforce negative thinking. If you can recognize them, then you can learn to change them and challenge them. So here's four common ones. First one is black and white thinking. That's seeing everything as one way or the other without anything in between. Okay? Everything as one way or another without anything in between. Either Jerome is your best friend in the whole world, or he's a scumbag you should never talk to again. And you see it like one way or the other. That's black and white thinking. So if somebody does something, you know, and that's, that's what a friend would do, then they're, they're still the best friend in the world. And if for some reason one day he doesn't do the thing that you expected, he forgets to call or forgets to, to be there or reschedule something or has like a schedule, whatever, and he doesn't fit that mold, now... Black and white, I can no longer hang out with them. He doesn't care about me at all. 
And these are black and white thinking, and all of us can fall into this. We can become susceptible to black and white thinking. Either your wife loves you and cares about you, or she's inconsiderate and super selfish. And it's one or the other. <laughs> there's no in between. There's no, well, she was tired, and she was busy, and she had to pick this up, and had these things going on, and, and didn't think about this one little thing that you asked them to do that didn't seem like it was really important because of the way you communicate. There's no in between at all. Your husband is considerate and loving, or he's a deadbeat and a scum. <laughs> black and white thinking. Black and white thinking. It's dangerous because it's not usually one way, all the way, or another. That's not usually what's going on. The next one is personalizing. Assuming you are to blame, man, I, I am good at this one. This one I'm really good at. Assuming you are to blame for anything that goes wrong. It's your fault. Just assuming you're to blame for anything that goes wrong, like thinking someone didn't smile at you because you did something to upset her. Right? Well, they didn't smile at me today, so they're mad. I wonder if it's because they talked too long the other day, or I wonder if it's because of this, or I wonder if it's because of that, or what's going on? Why are they mad at me? Are we okay? You ever been in a relationship with someone that constantly asks, are we okay? Are you mad? Is something wrong? And you're like, no, I just don't have any thoughts in my brain, and it hurts to try to have one. And you're like, so, <laughs> right? And you're like, why don't you love me? You know, you haven't looked at me and smiled in 30 seconds. It's like, I'm just like, I don't. <laughs> it's personalizing, making everything about you. It's really, it's really self-centered, which is why I'm so great at it. It's making everything about you. It's blaming yourself. For everything because it's more likely that person is having a hard day or a mood or has nothing to do with you there's just something else going on they ate something weird and they're like i don't feel right or it's not usually about me it's not usually about you the next one is filter thinking i know people like this choose filter thinking is choosing to see only the negative side of a situation i can only see how this could go terribly wrong Right? Your kid's coming to ask, can we do this? And you're like, nope. Why? Because, you know, you could possibly, can we ride our bikes? Nope. Because I know somebody who rode a bike one time and they lost a toe. And I want you all to sit down and I'm going to tell you about the story. And you're like, so we're never riding bikes. I knew somebody 20 years ago who drowned, so we're never going to swim. Our family doesn't swim. You know? It's this negative thinking. You're, Constantly seeing something as negative. You know, your wife uh, makes a beautiful dinner or whatever, and you sit down at the table, and you, oh, are we out of drinks? Because there's not a drink there. It's like, what? <laughs> Why can't you see the one thing that's great? Why can't we see the one thing that is good? Why can't we point out, like, one of the 30 things that's great? But no, nope, we see the negative thing, and I, I can fall into that one so easy, too. That's filtered thinking. Only seeing the negative. And again, the soundtrack of your brain, the thoughts, the reoccurring thoughts you have going through are going to be the filter that you will, you will filter everything you experience through. The next one is catastrophizing. I don't even know if that's a word, but it sounds awesome. Catastrophizing is assuming the worst possible outcome is going to happen, which is kind of what I talked about with filtered thinking. Only seeing the negative, the worst possible thing will happen. We cannot go skiing because I saw this movie and the terrorists, they got James Bond and the guns and we do not do that. 
Like, just the worst possible thing, the worst possible outcome is going to happen. And constantly thinking about it and constantly, like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I'm, I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm worried. That's the, uh, the kid who never puts on his rollerblades because he doesn't want to scratch them until he grows out of them and then he can't fit in them. It's that kind of thing. It's something might happen. You keep the car in the garage until the tires are flat and the battery doesn't run because you wanted to keep it nice and because you didn't run it, now it's all gummed up. Catastrophizing. Well, I don't want to drive it because it might wreck. I don't, want to, I don't want to scratch it. Catastrophizing. You always assume the worst possible outcome is going to happen. And if you allow these types of thought distortions to live in your mind, then guess what? It will wreck you and will wreck your relationships. So Paul says this. He says, whatever is true. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Black and white thinking. Well, is it true that they're completely irredeemable and a terrible scum of a person? No. Or is that not being honest? Is that not being honest? Whatsoever things are just. Well, if I forgot somebody's birthday, if I forgot we were going to hang out, would I still want them to be my friend? Would it be just for them to just cut me off because they forgot one time, one thing? No, it wouldn't. Whatever is just, whatsoever things are pure. Can I find something pure here? Can I find a pure motive? Can I find a clean, good reason? Whatever is true, challenge the negative thoughts. Whenever you have a distorted thought, stop and evaluate whether it is accurate, whether it is true and honest. Think about how you would respond if a friend spoke about herself that way. Someone else was talking to themselves the way that you're talking to yourself. What would you, what would you tell them? If someone else described to you this scenario, what would you say to them? Would you say, oh yeah, you're totally right, they're just a scum. Or would you say, well, you know, it could have been something else was going on. I mean, didn't they just like lose an ant or something? <laughs> like, I mean, they seem like they're going through a tough time. Could it be something else? You'd probably offer a good rebuttal to his or her negative view. Apply the same logic to yourself, your own thoughts. Ask yourself if you're assuming the worst will happen or blaming yourself for something that's not gone the way you wanted. And then think about other possible outcomes or reasons that something turned out differently than you hoped. So why should I challenge these negative thoughts for other people's benefit? Why should I care enough to rethink when I have a thought in my mind and maybe give my wife the benefit of the doubt or my son the benefit of the doubt? Why not just go with whatever I feel? Why not just trust what my gut is telling me? Why should I do all this work? Why should I challenge these negative thoughts I have about my spouse? Because what you think of others will make or break you. Why should I challenge and carefully examine negative thoughts I have about my kids? Because what you think of others will make or break you. Why should you think about your parents and maybe give them the benefit of the doubt? Because what you think of others will make or break you. What a, same is true for your boss. Same is true for your friends. What you think of others, what, the thoughts that you allow yourself to think of others will make or break you. Your thoughts are only yours. And they are the soundtrack of your life that cover, colors every interaction you have. So what song you have on repeat? What thought do you have on repeat in your mind? 
What comes up all the time? If you think this last week, what did you feel most? What did you think most? Was it anger? Do you have a week full of anger? Do you have a week full of frustration? Do you have a week full of joy? Full of peace? Kindness? Generosity? A week full of lovely things? Honest things? Pure things? What kind of thoughts were in your mind most this week? It may be time to take a break from that thought or to just dump it all together if you're having a negative thought. We could take a break from negative thoughts. It's possible to learn how to separate from negative thoughts. One way to do this is to allow yourself a certain amount of time, maybe five minutes with the thought, and then take a break. Okay, I'm having this thought. I'm mad at my wife. Okay, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to give myself 30 seconds because five minutes is too dangerous, I think. (laughs) I'm going to think... 30 seconds, set the timer, Mm, I'm mad, you know, and it could have went this way, it could have went that way. Timer goes off, okay, let me think of a couple other things that might have possibly happened here. Let me set that one aside, that's an option, but let me set that aside and think of some other things that might explain this situation. What could have possibly gone wrong? What can have possibly been different? How can I possibly just let it go? In fact, a lot of us, this is, this is part of my problem, when Paul says to think about these things, and he goes on, he says, the things that are commendable or the things that are praiseworthy or of good report, to pick out in other people the things that you can compliment them about. What did you do right? What did they do good? What did they do well? To like think about those things and find something good to compliment, to think about. And what's the problem with that? Well, it might let them off the hook. What if they continue this behavior that's really bothering me? I need to point that out to them, make them feel pain, so they change. How many of you relate with that one? Maybe you don't want to raise your hand. <laughs> but yeah, Okay, some of us are honest. We're just trying to control. I want to fix you because you're bothering me. That's what we do. That's what we do. If I let them off the hook, if I just point out something good, well, then they won't realize this is really, really bad. And if I just don't say anything, how can I possibly just let it go? I mean, they'll just keep doing it. Well, I have good news for you. You don't have to wear the black robe. You don't have to wear the black robe. I'm convinced that some of us have black robes and a gavel with us at all times. Right? You walk in the kitchen, you're putting on the robes, you know, where's my gavel at? Okay, what's on the docket today? Well, there is a cup left in the sink, Your Honor. All right, bring forth the accused. (laughs) We're going to adjudicate this situation right now, right? You just have the robes and the gavel ready to go. When we walk in the room, what are we going to do? And people who are like that, People who are very quick to criticize your accidents and your mistakes and your shortcomings as a moral failure because that's ultimately what, it, what happens. It's not, you did this thing and it bugs me. Can you please remember to put that away? No, no, no. You put this in the sink because you are ungrateful about all the time that I spent in here doing this. You don't care about me. 
You don't care about your family. You leave it there to get dirty. It's going to smell. You're not taking care of this home that we live in. I mean, it's all these moral judgments. Just, it's not, hey, why did you, well, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I, I said it in there. I meant to wash it. And then I had to run out the door. I got a phone call. It's, I, no, no, it's not that somebody was human for 30 seconds. It's that they are a moral failure. You left this sock on the floor. It's you just don't care about your children. <laughs> They're going to grow up to be slobs and never get married. It's going to be your. We make, we make it this moral judgment. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. Because it means this, it means this, and it means this. And we have the judgment dominoes falling over. We got their black robe on and a gavel, you know. You want to know something about people like that? that maybe you can't stand, maybe you are those people, and those people already know it. People who are like that are living a tortured life on the inside. They don't just wear the black robes for you and me. They hear that when they wake up in the morning. Black robe goes on before their feet hit the floor. All right, bring forth the accused. What do we do? Well, Your Honor, look at the... uh, Look at the to-do list from yesterday that you didn't get done. I would like to point out the three items on this list that you failed to accomplish. And if you'll listen down the hall, your son has the sniffles, which means you're a bad mom. And it goes on and on and on. And the same stuff that they do to you and they do to others, they're doing to themselves. It's a tortured life to live in that kind of judgment all the time. And so then they're putting it on themselves. They're feeling it. They think God is treating them that way, which he's not. And so then they just overflow it into other people. I know well. I got, I got a good bit of this in me too. And in their mind, this is what God does to me. This is what my parents did. And they struggle to shut it off because if I stop judging, then people will just get away with it. And Paul writes to the Philippians, whatever things are lovely, remember the context of interpersonal conflict, whatever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, means if there's something commendable, if there's something to to praise them about, if there's any excellence, any virtue, Anything they did right, there's any praise, think on these things. Hold in your mind the things that were done well, the things that were done good, the things that were lovely. These are the things to focus on. What if the mistakes of others were just accidents? What if they were just human like you are? What if we're not perfect? What if they hit something with their car because they were distracted? What if they forgot something because things were pressing on them and they were tired? What if they were just human? I listened to a podcast recently and a potential donor was talking to a charity in a third world country. And this charity handed out money to families in need in this this poor third world country. They would give money to people and loans to people to help them out of situations. And the donor, the Western donor, is asking, you know, the, the charity run by local people, 
do you ever have people who just waste the money? And how do you, how do you deal with that? And the charity director turns back to them and says, well, do you ever waste money? And is God still generous with you? <laughs> you know, well, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. Don't be so quick to put a moral judgment on something someone else does. Because what you think of them will make or break you. You could retire your judge robe. You could step down from the bench because God is still on the throne. And he will judge everything. He will judge everyone. And he will make everything right. And he will make everything just. And justice will pour down. And all the things that we try to do and can't quite figure out how to do, he will enable us to do those things someday. And even now, he'll enable us to do many of those things. He will judge everything. He will make it right. He can even teach your adult child the lesson they refuse to learn from you because you're you. They just don't want to hear it from you. He will teach your mom and dad the thing that you can't communicate to them because your brain's not all the way developed and you just can't tell them what it feels like to be in your skin right now. God can deal with that. You don't have to punish them. He could teach your spouse what you want them to learn because it's his job. It's God's job to grow us as individuals, to teach us. And all you do when you take God's job as judge is mess up yourself and your relationships with others. All I do when I take God's job as a judge is mess up myself and my relationships with others. Because what you think about others will make or break you. And Paul, specifically, in the context of dealing with people we are in conflict with, says, look for what's lovely. Look for the good report, the commendable thing. Look for the excellent thing. Look for the thing you can praise and think on these things. Because what you will think of others will make or break you. Your physical and mental health is at stake. Your physical and mental health is at stake. When we constantly think the kind of thoughts that put us in fight or flight mode, constant anxiety or worry, when we take control of things that we cannot control, the whole manipulation thing of other people, it just causes massive neurochemical stuff to happen in our brain. It will wreck your heart. It will wreck your blood pressure. It will wreck everything in your body. You'll want to eat all the time. <laughs> you won't want to get up and do anything. It can lead to depression. It can spiral you towards suicide. It will trash your heart and your blood pressure. And it can prevent you from having good relationships with the people you most desperately want good relationships with. Because what you think of others will make or break you. The result of doing what Paul teaches is in verse 9. We'll close with this. Paul says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and you've seen me do. I want you to do those things. And this is the result. The God of peace shall be with you. The God of peace shall be with you. The result of doing what Paul teaches is the God of peace shall be with you. If what you're doing is not bringing peace, if the way you're running the soundtrack of your mind and your relationships is not resulting in peace, 
if your interactions with others, if conflict for you all the time doesn't result most of the time in peace, then could it be that we're doing it wrong? And what have you got to lose to try it God's way? What have you got to lose? The way you deal with conflict is not regularly bringing peace, then why would you keep doing things your way? Listen to the advice God told Paul to write to the Philippians. Look up the research yourself. This isn't just in the Bible. This is, this is just science. Change what thoughts you dwell on because how you think about others will make or break you. How you think about others will make or break you. Let's pray. Dear God, pray that you would reveal in our hearts where we wear the judge robes. Help us to see that the things that we point out oftentimes are not the lovely things, the good things, the commendable things, the praiseworthy things, the excellent things. And it doesn't mean that we want to lower the bar of our standards or that we're, we're going to just ignore things and not confront people and not share with them what we would like to change, but we don't have to go so far as to make a moral judgment. We don't have to constantly point out the one or the two things that are terrible. We could just let go of those and instead focus on what is good, what is praiseworthy, what is excellent, virtuous. And I, I pray that you will help me do this better. Pray that you help our family, this church family, those who are with us today, those who are listening online, to do this better. To try this today. To not just make a decision in our heart, but to take action and to practice this. When we want to point out, we desperately think we need to say something. Help us to bite our tongue and instead look for something else to say. Because the way we treat others will make or break us more than them. Pray that you'd help us to lean into relationships and trust you with the judgment. Help us to mend things where we've broken it. We know we could trust you to forgive us where we've messed this up. Help us to do better this week. In Jesus' name, amen.